Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 18 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled Good Intentions. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Good morning, class. Final exams today. Could be. Well, if the Lord returns today, it's the final exam. He says it's coming Wednesday. <laughs> Ooh. I don't know how I got a witness out of that, but I did. <laughs> you should have scared me there, little pastor. <laughs> he must have been reading the book. <laughs> uh, as in the days of Noah. So glad to see you all here this morning. I, um, as we begin this teaching, as in the days of Noah, and you know my scripture. Here it's in Matthew and twenty four thirty seven. But as in the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. The coming of the Son of Man be. I was just doing some uh, study this past week. I was trying to uh, come up with when did the second coming of Christ teaching enter back into the body of Christ. And it's, uh, it's so amazing the truths that we have today. We can assume that the Christians down through the ages had, but they didn't. Uh, I mean, everybody didn't have even a, access to a Bible to four, 13, 1400s. So the common person didn't even have the Word of God. 13, 14, 15, we had the what, uh, the Gutenberg Press. The uh, You know, when we started getting, uh, that's when the King James Bible was printed. That's when people could kind of get, you had, to, I think it's Geneva Bible. Uh, the Puritans brought over the Geneva, I think, perhaps. And uh, But anyway, we, we got to understand the believers didn't have this book. Uh, we were Christians, you, Catholicism, uh, the Catholic Church. Most people went to a Catholic Church in those days. You had some remnants of monks and prophetic type people that God preserved his word through and they would copy the word of God. Uh, but we've, we need to take note of the days we're living in and the opportunity that we have with the word of God set before us. And the, the scary part is, is to, to much is given, much is required. So there is more required of us uh, today than it was 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years, definitely 500 years ago. There is more required of us because of what we have before us, the Word of God and the power of His Spirit. With that in mind, as we, and, and the second coming of Christ was, it was basically replacement theology uh, up until probably 1700s, 18, uh, 18th, 19th, even century. But then uh, there were several started teaching, uh, even 18, 1900s, uh, about this idea. There were just one or two or three prophetic voices, 1900s. I cannot quote their names. Uh, I wish I could. I can't. But they started this idea of uh, prophesying, if you will, of this possibility of maybe the intimate uh, return of Christ. Then everybody was like, this is you're crazy. And, and, of course, what was being prophesied about was, well, uh, it's a good chance Israel's going to become a nation again. That was the whole issue was if the Israel became a nation. And, and with this, uh, the, uh, Edwin Irving uh, and several of them had, um, there was called a Lady Powers Court uh, in Ireland, I think it was. Powers Court Conferences, they called it, were prophetic conferences. Actually, Darby was there, as was Edwin Irving. And they started studying the scriptures from a prophetic viewpoint suggesting that it's very possible Israel will become a nation again. Now, the reason that was huge because up in the, in there in that time was what we call replacement theology, and that was that the church replaces Israel. Well, you can see why that would, I mean, you know, 17, 1800 years, uh, the idea was uh, that the church replaced Israel. And that, uh, so we had some prophetic voices that came along and started saying, well, um, it is, I, I think... What I'm picking up on is, is uh, Israel's going to return to their homeland and that the uh, intimate uh, second coming of Christ was upon us. And um, we know that Israel must be established as a nation first. And 
then all of a sudden these literal prophetic wheels will start turning again. So we find ourselves here today, got the Word of God. We got all of these self-helps, all of these things to help us. Uh, Israel is now a, a, a nation. They're back in their homeland. And uh, so we're seeing that prophetically uh, things are happening and we have discovered that the church has not replaced Israel. That's right. <laughs> we, we just have not replaced Israel. Uh, but, but Israel is a what we call a prophetic timepiece uh, to us believers. Now, with that said, I want to uh, take you in a little bit of a disclaimer here, if I might. Uh, the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit that falls on you. As we're moving into where we are today, I want to make a little distinction here is if you're a born-again believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And then we have this other phenomena of the Holy Spirit falling on us. Uh, there's times that you, see that you have the terminology of people being slain in the Spirit. Uh, there again, I, uh, I have prayed for many people that have been slain in the Spirit. I could tell when it's coming every time. And, and I sort of feel like, well, it's going to get me too, you know. Now, I've never been slain in the Spirit. It, Never been slain in the Spirit. Never. I've told y'all, makes people shut up. I've never spoken in tongues. I've prayed for many that's received the gift of tongues. Now, I don't get that, but it's, I'm just being honest and transparent with you, which, uh, which is, makes my point. I have the Holy Spirit in me, but it's different when the Holy Spirit comes upon me. Now, the hope of anybody that preaches or teaches is that the Holy Ghost will fall upon you. And when you're, and a lot of people hold me a, uh, uh, don't think that I fully live out what I preach and teach. Uh, please don't think that. I, I, I'm telling the secrets. I'm, a, I, I'm just telling the truth. Now, it's my goal to, but if I was tremendously honest with you, and a lot of things that I say, I hear it for the first time when you do. Now, that doesn't make me extra special or anything else. It's just that I've been, uh, I answered a call, to, I'll stand up here and take a chance on God. You try to have a few notes prepared, but the truth is, your prayer and hope is, is the Holy Ghost will, will come upon you. Now, there, but, but just go with me a moment. There's a difference between the Holy Spirit in you and the, and the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Now, now, we know when they went into the upper room that the Holy Ghost fell on them. But don't think that was the first time they encountered the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit met them in Luke before the Holy Spirit fell, and Jesus opened up their understanding to the Scriptures. All of that was done with the power of the Holy Ghost the Holy Spirit and the believer. And as Christians and as a spiritual type people, we try to, we want everything to mark a time. This is when this happened. I've heard people say, well, if you don't know the day and the hour you got saved, you're not saved. But yet I know people that do not know that, but I know they're saved. So, so you really can't be that dogmatic. Uh, uh, I would rather for you to know that you are than to know the day and the hour. The day and the hour doesn't get you any brownie points with God. Uh, some people, it just takes longer to get saved than others. Uh, okay. You, you can, maybe the Holy Spirit or your flesh will bear witness for that. So I want you to see that the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit that falls on you uh, uh, is to be something that's to be happening in these last days, as in the days of Noah. Now, when we come together as a church... Everyone, believers come in here with the Holy Spirit in them. But trust me, it's something different when the Holy Spirit of God falls on us as a congregation. It's totally, it's not a different spirit, but it's like the Holy Ghost is in us, but then God, His presence, we, we say, uh, shows up. And so it's a falling on us uh, corporately that is my uh, major end game. I'll just let you know on that. But I understand that the way that one way that we we can be the worst crowd in the world and God uh, fall on us, or we can be the best crowd in the world and God uh, falls on us. My my, uh, in other words, what we bring to the table doesn't have necessarily that much to do if God falls on us uh, or not. Is my is my point. But I also want to make this point: God has fallen a lot of times, and people not even know it. Now, that's your responsibility. That's your problem then. 
You, you, you now have a problem. How, what do you contribute to God falling? Probably nothing. But you contribute everything to you knowing that He fell. In other words, you can have a visitation of the Spirit of God in a corporate type manner and you miss it. Yeah. That's right. Uh, if that's true, could this be true? Could the presence of God be in the room and we all miss it? Yeah. Boy, that leads us in a, a, a peculiar, precarious spot. So if that be the case, we start discovering that the presence and the holy presence of God falling on a congregation could be happening and we don't even know it. So there's something happens, there's a spiritual connection between the Holy Ghost and me and the, and the presence of God falling this to make a, that plugs in, that makes a connection. And um, I often wondered if uh, when people, people go out in the spirit, if God's not fixing a short or something, it's like, a, bam, here they go, God's, I don't know. That one didn't cost anything. Okay. Just make a distinction in the Holy Ghost falling on us. And, you know, if you've not ever wondered how in the world some of these preachers preach, they've had affairs with other women and all this stuff, and they get up and preach, and it's anointed. Well, it's because of God's faithfulness. He, he, God, once he, he does this thing, He's going to be faithful to His Word. I, now, we maybe don't like that, but if God was waiting around for us to get perfect before He could get anything done... Guess what? Nothing would ever get done, right? So what happens is uh, God works with what He's got to work with. Now, our contribution is how fast God can work with us. Uh, when we're so distracted with things of this world that God can't get our attention to fall upon us, then we'll miss His visitation. So the issue is, do we see and experience His visitation or, or do we miss His visitation? Now, keep that in mind as we move forward here. The Holy Spirit in you can help you with your dreams. Now, that's right. You can have uh, dreams, uh, things you want to accomplish. The Holy Ghost is in you. The Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Ghost is wisdom. It, it tells you when to miss a pothole, when to step over, jump over. The Holy Spirit guides us uh, and moves with us with our, with our dreams and what we would like to see. Now, the Holy Spirit in you can help you with your dreams, but the Holy Spirit falls on you when you are accomplishing His purpose. Now, there's the difference that I want you to consider. Now, there again, test what I say. I want you to test what, I'm, what I say. If I'm speaking prophetically, the Word of God uh, commands you to test what I'm saying. Uh, a lot of people who speak prophetically don't want to be judged I've even heard some say, don't judge, judge the word of my word. But I'm telling you to do the opposite. You are required to judge what I'm saying. You are to judge what I'm saying to see if it's true. Uh, but then if, if you discover that it's true, then it's required of you to respond uh, to this truth. Uh, so I want us to see that the Holy Spirit of God does help us with our dreams, but then the Holy Spirit of God tends to fall upon us uh, when we are in His purpose. Now, His dreams, His purpose in the end times church, and I've spoken with this as a leading topic for a few weeks, but everyone knows of the Apostle Paul. Now, if we live our lives in purpose, we will uh, not fail. Now, you know this scripture. Here, here was Paul's dream. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, and if he found any of, the, of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. You see that? So truly, Paul's dream was to capture those sinners that were betraying the laws of God uh, and bring them to justice. He was a very good uh, lawyer. He, know, he knew uh, when people were breaking it or not. But now here was his purpose. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there was shined round about him a light from heaven. So, so God gave him a choice of, his, of what he wanted to do. He wanted to be famous, a famous Jew. He wanted to be uh, known as this man who would bring people to justice and all this. But then God struck, struck him down uh, with his purpose. Uh, 
And God's uh, purpose on, uh, I mean, he wrote, what, 13 books in the New Testament. He had a great purpose for him. Now, the end times church must have the falling of the Spirit. So we see that we all uh, walk around here uh, with the Holy Spirit in us. But this, the reason the Holy Spirit fell on them in Acts 2 is because where did the end times church start? Uh, around Acts 2. We know that's when it... So part of the equipping of the going out was the falling upon the congregation, just not in the congregation. And for that reason, we need to make a distinction because I know a lot of people think, well, we don't need to come to church and all that, and we've got people watching online, and we consider you part of this church. Uh, but people think that, oh, it's just me and God and everything's fine, and it is fine. I mean, it, it is true. But there is a, a special application, a special falling, a special commissioning, if you will, when we stay plugged into the church, the local church, uh, for this uh, other manifestation, if you will, of God's presence. But it, we also see that it was man, not mandatory, it was so needed, I guess I could say, that this corporate falling of the Holy Spirit uh, uh, come upon the people of the congregation, and there's something about it. Um, it's something about our unity that is conducive to this falling of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we can't sit around bickering all the time and not be somewhat offensive to the presence of God, right? Right. And so, I mean, God allows us all to come here and here. He doesn't strike us dead, you know. I'm sure that we all deserve it somewhat. But God allows us to come in here. We get allows us to sit together. And so it appears God's okay with us being here. And so if God's okay with us being here, perhaps we need to find and to seek where our love is greater uh, for each other uh, uh, than our own legalism like the Apostle Paul had. Now, should we... Uh, well, anyway, y'all get what I'm saying there. So we need this falling of the Holy Spirit. And it says this, And he said upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. I use this scripture quite often. Uh, and then in Luke uh, 24, he says later to them, And behold, I send the, the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you uh, be endued with this power uh, that is on, from on high. Now, there's nowhere do I see that this was a one-time uh, empowerment. Now, it would be to the Lord... Um, I had a dream. I'll tell you about what led me into some of this. Uh, dream type vision, I guess you could call it one or the other. Uh, it was in between sleep and dream. And I had of, I came into the sanctuary and, and music was playing. And, uh, and the presence of God was here. I came in by myself. Presence of God was here. Uh, and I prayed and did something. That wasn't so much special, but what was seemed to be special to me that was that the worship was going on in here 24 seven. It wasn't anybody in here. It was just, we were, the room was filled with worship uh, uh, 24-7, and the presence of God was in here. And so people would stop in here uh, in my dream. People would just stop, come in, pray, and they'd leave. And, um, uh, but yet worship is like we were cultivating, I don't know, the presence of God perhaps. I don't know what it was about. But it seemed as though there was, there was a conscious presence of God uh, in this house 24-7. Uh, uh, and uh, so I had that, and, and for some reason in that dream, uh, I, had, I found myself wanting to get back here to get under this uh, falling upon part of his spirit, if you will, uh, that I had to come here to get it. That's where the dream was. And so I, I would find myself uh, coming in here, praying, worshiping God, because the falling upon was different than the end, and, and not saying that you got to come here for it to fall upon, but... It was making a distinction uh, with me of Holy Ghost in me, Holy Ghost uh, falling upon me. Now, this, this is the greater sign, which we've already discussed this, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Now, what has this got to, to, to do with that? 
when the whole part of the discernment of the Holy Spirit is because we have the Holy Spirit in us for discernment. Uh, we have the Holy Spirit upon us as a body, as, as, as a gathering. In other words, I've got, I, I've got uh, friends that I know I can call collectively and say, hey, I think I'm hearing this or seeing this. What do you think? And uh, to me, collectively, that's the church. I'm calling together some, some friends, asking them, asking them what their discernment is. What are you sensing uh, about this particular, and, and the, the point of it is, is so that I won't be deceived. Now, deception is number one thing that is mentioned most in the Bible and in the end times. And so in the end times, understanding the falling on of the Spirit, and we got the end Spirit falling on the Spirit, but the falling on the, uh, of the Spirit has a lot to do with us discerning the times. It's to be done, um, if you're a lone rabbit out here and you're getting personal stuff, and but yet you can't run it by a group that you trust uh, and have the this collective anointing or this falling on anointing, I don't know how else to say it, of God so we can discern the sign of this time. Uh, we need to be vulnerable to each other that we trust uh, in those ways. Deception is bringing confusion to your perceptions. Now we... We hit that a little bit of an angle. You know, I gave the cards I stuck up there. Could you? I had the picture of the beautiful woman, the ugly woman, all that. Uh, but deception is, brings confusion to your perception. Deception is stealth in action, uh, meaning that it can fly under your radar. Uh, deception can fly under your conscious radar, and uh, we need another means uh, of, of perceiving what's happening. It changes the foundation upon which a thought process begins to accomplish a change or a perception of truth. I've said that, uh, in, in other words, uh, people can debate abortion. Okay, let's debate abortion. Well, you've got this, this person sick or this something's going on. Well, we can debate abortion on a lot of different topics, or we can go to the foundation uh, of, the, of the truth, and, and that is we're not supposed to murder, Right? The foundational truth is don't murder. So as a Christian, if you leave that foundational truth, you can find yourself in conversations that can be deceptive. I had uh, a person this uh, uh, past week uh, ask me about um, homosexuality, transgender. Uh, it was just... Uh, uh, sexual uh, misconduct, I guess you know, call it, and it's all misconduct that God forbid. So where that person was asking me about, and they were trying to justify the ar argument, a Christian said, well, Alan, they, in nature you can see that, uh, uh, that the animal world and in nature uh, that animals are homosexual or, you know, you'll have a, you know, like in cows, yeah, you'll have a female cow mound, another female cow, which all that's true. And so, but his point being is nature is a litmus test of, of uh, why was this acceptable? And I said, well, there's a problem with that. And I said, number one, God's kind of created us a little higher uh, than a mud turtle. And, and not only that, why would you use uh, nature? Uh, I mean, we used to raise pigs. We, we had, my daddy had over 300 brood sows at one time. And, and you know the biggest problem in raising pigs and uh, mama sow having little pigs? You had to get the little pigs away from the mama sow because she'd eat them. That's right. I mean, the, your biggest, your number one problem was you had to be there when she birthed them because if you didn't, the little, the little pig went around her, she'd eat the blind pig. And, uh, you know, it's just, so I don't think we want to use that as a, as, 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 to make your point. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that's what we want to use to make a point. Okay. <laughs> I, I had a lot more to say, but I'm not going into all that. So it's all about attention diversion. Uh, the enemy's trying to divert our attention uh, to other uh, thoughts, to to other ideas, to get us off of the main point. That's like, I just use abortion. It's easy. We can get off in all of these other arguments. I'm just telling you as a believer, if you leave the foundational truth uh, of you're not to murder somebody, if you leave that point, you can get into an argument. If you think you can out-argue it but, uh, after, the, 
post the truth being established, you can find yourself getting caught up in deceptions, uh, just like the one that you're uh, trying to debate. Attention diversion is the key to an illusion. Uh, if our minds are filled with useless things, we are more open to illusions, no matter how smart you think you are. Now, Peter says this, be sober, be vigilant. Because, and there's a reason, your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he, it says here, whom he may devour. So, so Peter, once you get into the New Testament, you start seeing deception. Deception is not one obstacle. Uh, uh, one is not, is deception is not one option of many uh, uh, problems with the New Testament church. Deception is the number one problem. Uh, with the New Testament church. And uh, uh, so he says to be sober. Uh, that, to be sober means to concentrate on what's important. And we can find ourselves today in this day of entertainment. We want to be so entertained uh, that we'll use things in entertainment uh, to get us off the point. Vigilant means keep being careful, watch for the possible dangers or uh, difficulties that's in front of you. So Peter's saying concentrate on what's important, uh, look out for the possible dangers. Now, first and foremost lesson for the end time church was in Matthew. And Jesus answered and said, uh, well, I keep hitting them. Jesus answered and said something. Uh, Let no man deceive you. Uh, I am the Christ, many, uh, and they shall deceive many. Deceive their means of a person or cause to believe something that is not true. Uh, typically in order to gain some personal advantage. Now, I'm taking this just a step further here. Personal advantage. Now, one thing about the Holy Spirit of God falling upon us is when we come in here, we think more highly of each other than we do ourselves. That, that's key. It's, it's just the normal Christian behavior is we're to think high, more highly of each other than we do ourselves. And what we're fighting is, is to think more of ourselves than others, right? Um, so we can see that's what happens in this deception. Uh, end times direction in the world is to create another Jesus. Do you see that? Just because you say you believe in Jesus does not really mean anything until you say which one. So we see that there's all of a sudden we start getting into this mindset of a different Jesus. And we'll say to ourselves, well, I won't. That, that's not me. I'm not going to fall to that one. Well, let's see. Now, consider that deception is an act of spiritual warfare. We, we all understand, uh, I, there again, a few weeks ago, I had a person say, well, Alan, spiritual warfare is not real. It's not true. Uh, it's not in the Bible. And I'm like, wow, boy, I misread something somewhere. Uh, if this is not spiritual warfare, what's, what is this? It's beating me up, so. Um, deception is an act of spiritual warfare. Uh Almost in every passage in the New Testament contains some kind of warning against being deceived. Uh, there again, we see it here in Matthew. Uh, says, he says that many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. So these, these extra Christ or these other Christ is our focal point here. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not, for there shall rise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show signs, great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive even the very elect. You, you say, well, why is that in there? Well, I suggest this is the reason. You cannot base the truth of a message merely on the fact that there were supernatural signs. So once we see, we tend to say the litmus test is that there was a supernatural sign. Oh, we want to see God moving in, in a supernatural way. Uh, just like I've said before, referred to a revival I was in with Jeff Rowland. And uh, in that revival, we saw many signs and wonders. And we saw quite a few, fall, uh, we call them false signs and wonders. They were real signs and wonders. But, but listen, we knew they weren't, a, weren't of God. There was just, there was absolutely uh, no doubt. So that's the reason I put it in there is just because you see a sign and a wonder. I mean, why do you think he says great signs and work in so much that if were possible, they shall see the very elect. So there again, we're to, we're to uh, uh, sign in a wonder, uh, a prof anything that's prophetic uh, in nature, which a sign in a wonder is, we are to judge it, is, is what we're supposed to do. Don't let somebody shame you into not uh, judge it. You, you are supposed to judge it. And uh, listen, if anybody has trouble with you judging it, 
Can you see that? If I've got a problem with you judging what I'm up here saying, then i got a problem. You see? And I've qualified it, and I stood up here and said in the beginning, listen, I'm up here, but my prayer is that the Holy Ghost will fall upon me as I speak, that I won't say anything amiss. I do not pretend to think that I'm not going to miss it some. Don't even, because I know my, I'm just hoping I'll get nine out of ten. <laughs> Listen, you need to be in my shoes sometime. You're just hoping that you're going to have enough of the presence of God to be on you. Uh, and then I'm, how can you stand up here and say, well, Alan, how can you do it with nine out of ten? Because I'm trusting the Holy Spirit in you. You're supposed to judge it. That's how. And I'm sure that I will fall short quite a few times, no doubt in my mind. And that's okay. You can judge it and say, okay, Alan, you fell short. And I'm saying, yep, I sure did. I shorted right on up there. And so, but that's what the judge, what, that's a healthy way to judge. We're, we're supposed to do that. So we're to, we're to judge uh, signs and wonders uh, if, they, if they occur. If not, it's possible that perhaps we could even be deceived. Now, how to avoid deception. Uh, we have to be able to identify the truth. One way to avoid deception, and here's, this is key as we move forward, is how to identify the truth. How can I know that it has the ring of the truth? How, how can I know that? Number one, you don't leave foundational truths of the Word of God. Is everybody with me? You can't, we can't move from there. A lot of our discussions, and I hope you're getting this in arguments, are after the fact of the truth. Somebody's trying to change the truth into a lie, and then you're trying to debate them on it. I'm just telling you, just, just we'll stay out of those discussions. Say, well, here's what the Word of God says. But what we find ourselves into is trying to convince somebody to think like I think. Right. Totally futile. You, you can't, the only reason you think the way you think is because the Holy Ghost changed you to think that way. So it's not going to come any different for, for anybody else. That's the reason the point being there's more power in standing on what the truth says. I don't care if anybody understands it or not. Okay. Don't, don't feel like the goal is to persuade somebody. It's not the goal. The goal is to be obedient to the truth and declare truth. And if the Holy Ghost wants to shove it in their ear and up their throat and all that, that's up to the Holy Ghost. It's just not up to me. So we've got to identify what the truth is. And it says this in John 18, 37. Now, it's an interesting verse here. Pilate therefore said unto him, talking to Jesus, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou say that I am a king. To this end I was, was I born. And for this uh, cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto what? I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. You see that? Everyone of the truth will hear my voice. Uh, uh, Pilate said unto them, what is truth? <laughs> that was a good question. After all that truth, Jesus was throwing them. He said, okay, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Now, the problem here is we don't know what Jesus said to him. Jesus said something to him. I said, God, come on. You see, he said, what is the truth? And when he had said this, he went out to the Jews. So the only thing we know is ever what he said caused a pilot to go out and says, I don't find any fault in this man. So what he said must have been pretty powerful about what the truth is. So here we're found, uh, we're trying to find out what, what was it Jesus said to Pilate? You know, what, what's the deal here? The Bible gives us three divine genetic codes, I'm going to call it, uh, to prove what is the truth. Now, as I'm doing this, I want you to understand something. I, I read a lot. I've told you it seems like I retain very little. But I read a lot. And everything I'm teaching you and saying to you is probably a hodgepodge of, of Bible teachers and preachers for the last 250 years. Do y'all get that? I make no claim uh, because I know when it comes out of me, I've been influenced. Uh, I even had one particular thing I thought the Lord actually get, personally gave me this truth, you know. And, and, I, and, uh, and then I, uh, uh, I don't know, it must have been 10, 15 years after that that I read that, I was going through an old book again, I read that truth in a book. Well, the truth is, it was stored in my memory. The Holy Spirit brought it up. I didn't remember where I'd read it. I just thought it was mine. That I came. So I have abandoned this idea of me having all this original truth. I gave it up a long time ago. 
The only reason I'm qualifying is I don't think that I'm come up with any of this stuff. I've been taught basically everything that I know. And the Holy Spirit did, did uh, say to me one time that the Lord did give me some original things, but I don't have enough sense to know what they are. So, so, what, so, so what good is it? So, but I'm just saying this is, I mean, the, when it says three, three divine genetic codes, I mean, I remember some of these teachings that I heard from all these great guys. And so this is where I pull from. Uh, the pure truth will have uh, all three divine genetic uh, codes. Uh, John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, see that? The truth and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So in trying to discover what truth is, we see that Jesus gives us this, this answer here. Uh, he, says, he says, I am the way, the truth. So in trying to discover truth, what's the first thing we find here? Jesus is, is the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Now, look at this next thing in John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You see that? Yeah. So, not only is Jesus truth, but his word's true. So we see, we see two, I'm, I'm calling it divine genetic codes, that when we're looking for truth, it's got to go through Jesus, it's got to go through the word. That's that's two of them, uh, and I like the next one. Uh, Jesus says, "Our word is truth." Now look at this one, John five six. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. So what we're saying here, John says that the Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus, and the Spirit uh, is truth. So here we got. There's three genetic codes to any truth. One is it'll pass through uh, Jesus, it'll pass through the Word, and, and then it, it, it passes through the Holy Spirit. So it's got to pass those three, though. If, if you just do Jesus, uh, uh, you're just going to go by, oh, this is what, just not red letter, so I can't use it. If you just do the Jesus thing. If you just do the Word thing, then you're void, usually the Spirit, altogether, and, and usually even devoid somewhat of the presence of Jesus in, in trying to discern truth. If you go holy, just Holy Spirit, we've all witnessed what happens in that catastrophe. Right? Well, we're going to be all Spirit. We're Spirit people. But yet, uh, it defies what Jesus has said in His life, and it defies the Word of God. Uh, so just because it's Spirit and it feels good does not mean it's truth. So, so we get, now a lot of times we don't want to take the time to put it through these three. Truth will always carry those three in it. You just, you, you, you cannot escape it. Now, to know that you know the truth, it must pass the test of Jesus, the Bible, and the Spirit. It must pass all three. It is true to Jesus, the Word, and the Spirit. This is how that we know that it is true. Now, true to Jesus, we see there is the truth. Uh, the Word, we see where he says, uh, of course, thy word is truth. And to the Spirit, he says that the Spirit is truth. So there's no doubt about it that we can know the truth. We just have to take the time to put it to the test to see if this truth has the genetic code of these three, is, is, is what he's saying there. Paul gives a warning again in Second Corinthians. Here's what he said, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And I got into that a little bit last week, not, not going to redo that. Uh, but we got to see uh, that subtility, it means uh, slyness in design, artificial guile, a cunning design, or artifice, a trick. So we see that he compares that to Eve. So I mentioned this last week, Eve was tricked into doing what she did. Adam did it wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. You see, so, so Adam carries a greater responsibility. You can blame Eve all you want to. She was tricked into it, and Adam won. Uh, he made a, he really made a bad call. Uh, now, he said something about simplicity, and I want us to, to key on this just a second. Simplicity here in the Scripture means the quality or condition of being easy uh, to understand or to do. Now, listen, there's parts of Christianity that have made it so blame complicated uh, People get up and talk and speak, and the time they get done, I, I just, so help you, I just, I have no idea what they're saying. 
you know, you got to run over here and you got to jump this, you got to go through this circle and you got to do this. In other words, it makes it so complicated. So if something gets so complicated that it's not simplistic, that's a warning flag. It's just, it's it's not that you can't study because the word of God's very deep and has a lot of revelation, but the truth of it is simplistic. It's it's simplistic. God wrote a book that even a, a, a dairy farmer with a 12th grade education can understand most of it. Okay. But it says this in verse 4, For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, so here we got a problem of another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit. Okay, here we got another Jesus coming on the scene, another spirit, which you have not received, or another gospel. Okay, here we go. we got another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. That's our three litmus test. Two, see it? Uh, which you have not accepted, you might uh, well bear with him. This other Jesus will have another spirit, and the result is another gospel, uh, not the true gospel. You've got to understand the genetic code of the truth has to be changed. Jesus, the other gospel, the word, and it's a different spirit, which makes another gospel. But it's had to violate. If 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 we're deceived, it's because we're not letting it go through the test. Because, you see, the reason people think it's true is because they've changed the genetic code, spiritual genetic code, if you will, you see. And I'm going to give you more revelation to that. The challenge of today's church is another gospel. I'm going to get into that real quickly uh, if I could. Examples of the deception in another gospel. Here we go. How many want to go with this one? Political gospel. Some in politics uh, will use the gospel to further their own agenda, but do not live these convictions. Now, there again, uh, okay, I won't, Lord. <laughs> ah, boy, I wanted to. Okay. Liberal gospel. <laughs> uh, I'm telling you now, I got a little bit of it, the Spirit on me, and I know when he jerks me up like that. All right, liberal gospel. This Jesus never speaks about sin and never mentions judgment. That's a, that's a liberal gospel never speaks about sin, uh, and never mentions judgment. Universal gospel says that all religions are just different roads to the same God. And that one we see uh, going uh, rampant now, and we could get into a lot of those things. Uh, What is the door in my life that allows deception to come in? Now, this is very important. What allows that to happen? You're not going to believe it. Pride is the door in your heart and mind. You see... How can you be deceived? Pride. It's really and truly not. It's very simplistic. (laughs) Pride. Now, we're going to use the Bible to prove that. The biblical example is Lucifer. Do I need to go any higher to prove my point? The the biblical example, uh, of course, is Lucifer. Lucifer became proud of his beauty and wisdom and who he was. Now, there's a, there's a problem, there's a huge problem with that, uh, because as, as we move on a little further, I can see I'm not going to get into it today, but as we move a little further, Lucifer became proud of his beauty and his wisdom of who he was. Uh, we're, a lot of preaching today uh, is, is about improving who you are. Uh, and I don't want to get there before I get there, but that was part of Lucifer's problem. He, he was stuck on who he was. And you say, well, Alan, what about if somebody doesn't have a good self-esteem and all that? I'm, I'm, I'm with you on all that. But you, it's, who, who do you have your faith in is the question. The result was rebellion, and the end uh, is deception. Now, so, you see, Lucifer was deceived. He, he really wasn't that good looking. Okay? And I hate to tell everybody that I'm talking to you. You're really not that good looking. Okay? Uh, but that's part of deception. And, uh, 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 and it, but he was also thought he had this great wisdom. It was, now, I'm not saying he didn't have wisdom. I'm not saying he didn't have such a level of beauty. He did. He had a level of wisdom. But he didn't have God's wisdom or he wouldn't have done what he did. So you can have wisdom without God's wisdom. So we can see God's wisdom's got an imitator. It seems wise unto man. Right? All right. Here we go. Pride 
is a feeling of deep pleasure or, satisfica- or satisfica- satisfaction derived from one's own achievements. Now, that's the key part. We get pride in our own achievements. In other words, you're, uh, and that's what happened to Lucifer. Now, this month, uh, everybody knows it or not, but this month, uh, June, is Pride Month. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer. Pride Month is currently celebrated each year in the month of June to honor his 1969 uh, Stonewall uprising in Manhattan. That's another story. Uh, but this month is, is, is called Pride Month. Now, for the life of me, why would you use that word? I mean, I know why they use the word, but, but pride is the problem. So what the enemy's trying to do is for people to take pride in their sin. Do you, do you, does anybody see a problem with that theology? Right? It, he's using the very term that that sin comes under. And, and many more sins, by the way. It's not just these. There, there's many more. I'm just using that, that, that June is pride month. I, I saw uh, last week that the U.S. Embassy got called on the carpet in Kuwait. Anybody see that? We, we really got called on the carpet in Kuwait because at the U.S. Embassy there, they were flying a rainbow flag uh, outside of the embassy, as we did in 93 other countries at our embassies. And uh, Kuwaiti officials called our officials in, on the carpet because one of the things of having an embassy in another country is you have to abide by the laws of the land. And they said, that's against the laws of our land. You either pack it up or pack it out. You know, make up your mind. And uh, so here we see uh, that this country was, uh, we were violating the laws of another country. And so you can see how, uh, I don't have a bit of problem with a lot of countries Thinking the United States is a great Satan. I didn't get many amens out of that one. Uh, because of the stuff that we're exporting is, is uh, just embarrassing. It's, it's just, abs- just absolutely embarrassing. Now, let me move on, lest I talk about a political gospel. Pride is the spirit unto Satan. Now watch this. Pride is the spirit unto Satan that the Holy Spirit is unto God. And that's a huge truth I hope you can grasp, and we're going to move on into it a little bit more. Pride's a spirit. Pride is a spirit. Pride is the spirit unto Satan as the Holy Spirit is unto God. Pride has a voice. Pride will speak to you. Pride will deceive you. So what happened to Lucifer was he took on the spirit of pride. And so we've got to see pride. Oh, I got a little bit of pride. No, you got a little bit of the devil. That's what you got. That's what it is. You got a little bit of the devil. So I'll give you this introduction of where we're going. If anybody's interested, probably won't be anybody here next week. But uh, Pride's the spirit. And, and listen, that convicts me more than anybody in the room. Of all the, when I start saying these things, it's amazing how God just starts revealing to you how you've got pride in your life over this. Or that. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. You've absolutely got to be kidding me. So, but just hear me. Pride is a spirit is what it is. Just like the Holy Spirit. So pride is the counterfeit Holy Spirit. That's what it is. Let me go just one more. Now, this is deceptional lures, we'll call it. What causes, what lures us into this deception is this idea that you will become a super Christian if you follow us. This idea of a super Christian, uh, it's an elitism type spirit. Elitism, you are extra special, you are a little more right than others. That's a deception. <laughs> it's just, it's, yeah, yeah. I know everybody goes to the church of their choice because they think that church is a little more right than everybody else, but trust me, that's the wrong reason. <laughs> Usually when people leave a church, it's because they don't think they're as right as another church. That's not being led by the Spirit, it's being led by pride. So, uh, This is when you believe you're, you are the only one that is capable of getting the job done and get it right. Anybody ever had that feeling? Don't raise your hand. 
everybody in the room. And we say, well, I just, well, just got to do it myself. Uh, can't anybody else do it uh, right? So that's pride. The reason you have uh, this belief is because you believe you are better than others, which is pride. And I'm going to leave us on that kind note uh, today. Warm, warm and fuzzy. Uh, we'll start here uh, next week. Proverbs 29.5, A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. So I'm going to get into a flattery. How do we fall to deception? I'm going, I hope to, to be able to teach us what flattery is and what it is not. Uh, I hope to teach us the dis- difference and uh, encouraging each other and flattering each other. Uh, because flattery is a big part of the deception that's going on out here now. Everybody, political correctness is trying to flatter one group at the expense of another. It's all, it's all under the pride thing. It's, it's, it's a, how, somebody tell me this. How in the world, we've got a law of the world that's unwritten called political correctness that everybody's supposed to live by, and it's not been written anywhere. It's not the law of the land. It's just not. It's called political correctness. There's a law out here that's been written, and it's designed to flatter sin. Now, historically, this has gotten the world in a lot of trouble, and I'm going to go over what's happened some in the last hundred years, even with flattery and what it equals, how much trouble it does. And there again, there's a difference in encouragement and flattery. But if you'll come back next week and, and, uh, and do judge what I say, I don't, listen, I, I get it honestly and truthfully, I get quite a few emails on people that disagree with me. And the truth is I'm all for it because I know when I stand up here, I'm saying yes to being judged for what I'm saying. And I just want you all to know I get that. Uh, uh, just always end your emails uh, bless his little heart or I love you anyway that's all I ask let's let's stand (laughs) Lord Jesus we do love you and we thank you for today I do ask and pray oh God that you'd be with us in the power of your spirit and Lord truthfully anything that I've said that's not of you I do pray that this congregation would judge it and just let it fall to the ground but Lord Jesus if there's anything that I said that's of you I ask and pray that we would take attention to it. We would check the scriptures to see the words that you say and to see if they're true. And that we would allow it to guide us in our lives and bring us hope for tomorrow. And dear God, the re- I do have an end game, Lord, and that is that your holy presence would fall in this place. Not just in us, but on us. Let this be a place, oh God, that your spirit fall upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.